Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. Good morning, and welcome to GirlfriendIt. We are going to have a blast today, and we are going to be talking with Julie Lowe. She is an author that recently just wrote a book that we are going to unpack, and Julie's going to share and give us all kinds of fun information. But Julie, you're a faculty member at the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, and you also have your MA in Counseling from Biblical Theological Seminary. You're a licensed professional counselor with more than 18 years of counseling experience. But I, I noticed that you are a registered play therapist, and you've developed a play therapy office to better serve families and teens in, in your community. And you also, you're married, you have six children, and serve as a foster and adoptive uh, parent as well. But tell me about this play therapy. Like, what, what happens when um, you create a therapy office to serve the community? Is it just so people have a safe place kind of unpack that as if we've never heard of this before. Sure. So, uh, I work in a I work in a counseling center and it, um, has many, a variety of offers and really wanted to, to learn how to minister well to children and teens and create an environment where it didn't feel like a sterile doctor's office or feel uncomfortable to them. So began pursuing resources and what that would look like and kind of stumbled into the play therapy field and uh, their expertise in really drawing kids and teens out well. So I, um, I just began researching it and developed a room that's uh, comfortable, fun colors, has resources that kids would like and enjoy, and um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that helps paint a better picture. Uh, we we work hard to try to make it friendly so kids walk in. I also have a trained therapy dog that comes in to work with me. So just looking for ways to disarm uh, anxiety in people as they come into counseling. Uh-huh. Awesome. Well, Julie, I was laughing. I, I just came back. I was in Indiana uh, just this week, and I was training on self-aware and your emotional intelligence and all that fun stuff. And mm-hmm. then I, I, I think it's interesting when you go and you train on a topic and then you don't apply it because I just started the radio show saying, we're going to have fun. And then I, I dove right into like a deep question, like, tell me about this. <laughs> I, I didn't even say good morning. And it, it's funny because uh, we, we talk about, you know, how you have your IQ, which is, you know, kind of set at birth. And then you have your EQ, which is a, you know, a skill that you can always work on. And then you have your personality that's kind of set at 19 years of age around there. And, uh, you just think you, you kind of live life with your, you know, using your personality. And I, I forget sometimes I have that personality that just goes straight to the point, very blunt and curt and 
um, <laughs> you just can't get around it sometimes. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so good, good morning or good afternoon. And good I, hope, I hope you're having an awesome day. But yes, that's, that's interesting. It, because I can't imagine, um, taking a child into, you know, therapy and having it be a very stale, stagnant place where they were like, why am I coming here? Why is this person talking to me? Uh, so I, I just love that concept. And that's what I was thinking when I was reading the information on you. But tell us your story, Julie. Like what, what has happened here? You had, you first, you became a single fo foster mom. So let's go back a ways and when did that become your passion? And I know that there are, there are people out there right now that it's like, oh, okay, because I, I'm choosing not to get married, does that mean I can't foster? And I know in Arizona we have 17,000 kids um, that mm. would love to have somebody say, yes, I want you in my home. So tell us a little bit about your story. Sure. So you know, speaking of personality and temperament, I mean, I, I think probably some of it's calling, feeling the Lord called me to it, but some of it is just as far back as I can remember. I think I always had a desire to really minister to those in need. And when I became aware that adoption and foster care existed, I thought, I, I can do that. I, I love kids. I want to help those that are at risk and those that are hard to, uh, perhaps hard to adopt, hard to place. Um, for two years out of grad school, I worked as a foster care social worker, um, so I lived the experience and uh, found out I'm not cut out for social work, but um, very much loved the kids and the families. And so while I was still single, I began praying about it and asking, well, if I never married, would I still pursue this? Would I, um, would I adopt? Would I foster as a single person? Um, and while making, uh, praying about that, while considering that, uh, I was already serving as a social worker. I decided, you know what, I could fill out all the forms and go through the training as a foster parent and begin at least serving foster parents as a babysitter, kind of a weekend respite and backup. Uh, so that's what I began doing as a single person. I thought, well, while I'm figuring this out, I'm, I'm just going to be a support to foster families who are doing it full time. And as a result, I was regularly watching foster kids on weekends or when the families were going on vacation. Um, and two little girls came across my path that I began watching regularly. And uh, I began seeing that the placement was going to fall apart. It wasn't going to last. And so I started praying and thinking about what I consider taking a little two- and three-year-old on. Uh, at the time, my husband and I were, were dating, but we weren't really certain uh, where our relationship was going. And um, within a two-month period, I just said, all right, Lord, if this, this placement falls apart, then I'll step in. And it's at that point I took our, our now two daughters. Wow. Now, are those, those two daughters sisters? They are. They're biological sisters, oh, and wow. they're now going to be soon be 16 and 17 so it's been oh. quite a while away within a year my husband and I did get married um so I wasn't a single parent for very long um we got married and the girls were our flower girls walking down the aisle um and within probably six to eight months after we were married we got a call about two little biological boys uh, biological brothers sorry who um are now our sons as well so 
my my husband gets a lot of credit for going into marriage and within the first year of marriage having four children under the age of five. Wow. Now, did was God preparing him? Like, did he have a desire to have a large family or was that not even in his thought process? He did. I mean, we both were very on board and for him, it was very theological. For me, I think I was just living out who I was. For him, it was a very, well, God adopted us. I, of course, we should consider this. And so we were on board uh, pretty much from the get-go. I think he was not prepared to be a father of four in the first year of marriage. So there was certainly an adjustment period. But we had always said maybe between two and four kids, if, if the Lord allows it. Wow. Okay. So, you know, you always hear that your first year of marriage is just the hardest. Yeah. How did you deal with that? That's your first year of marriage. And then you have four, four children. What, what were some of the hardest things of just waking up and going, okay, wow, this, this is my life right now. Yeah, we, well, you're right. First year of marriage is one of the hardest, which is why I don't tell anybody do life like the low family decided to. <laughs> uh, we, we got married in our thirties. So we were a little older. We were counselors. We, we in some ways knew what we were getting into, but we are two single people combining apartments and pets and homes and buying a house and two careers and then four kids. We added about every stress you could think of within the first six months of marriage and, and came out the other end surviving, which I, I credit to the Lord. Um, probably some of the hardest things in the midst of that was taking on four little children who had pasts and histories and, and learning to navigate that. We also had a foster care system that was involved in that. So it's not like we had the freedom to parent uh, completely the way we wanted to. Um, which in a really good way, as I, as I point out in my book, in a really good way, it really forced us to say, Lord, what does it look like to love this family well? Um, how do we do this? How do we, knowing the needs of the kids, knowing their background, and knowing who we are as people, what does wisdom look like in, in, in establishing a home? Uh, so I, I think looking back, in hindsight, it was a really fruitful time for us. Wow. Now, now you have a total of six. So tell us yeah. a little bit more about the rest of your family. Sure. We, uh, we continue to serve as foster parents. And so one of our mindsets just for our family has been uh, to tell our kids, you know, the Lord brings into our home who he wants in our home. And maybe it's for a short period of time. Maybe it's long term. Um, we'll just trust the Lord to to show us that. And so we've had some foster children in and out of our home. Um, we had a little baby, now seven-year-old Connor, who uh, we've adopted. So he came to us um, about five weeks, six weeks out of the hospital. And uh, two years uh, into caring for him, we were able to adopt him. And then about three or four years ago, we took on a 16-year-old uh, and uh, fostered him and have uh, permanent legal custody of him now. So um, you never know quite who's going to be in our home. There, There's wisdom in our, when we say we can't handle more children at the moment and when we choose to. And now that many of our kids are teenagers, we're very 
intentional about inviting them into the process and talking through how they feel about it and how it'll impact their lives and making sure that just as a family, we're all in it together. Okay, that that's really interesting. We we only have thirty seconds, but you actually sit down. Do you? Is this a normal like we have family meetings? Um, I guess so. I mean, we don't we don't make it a big deal and call family meetings, but we'll often sit around the dining room table and talk about it, or we we have a back porch and we'll hang out and we'll say things like, "So, guys, how do you feel about whether we get another call about a foster child, and what would you like to do?" This is Girlfriended on Toginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. It's a fact that eating breakfast is extremely important. Many Americans start their day by eating a bagel with cream cheese. They find it satisfying and feel that it's a healthy choice for breakfast. But is that true? Eat This, Not That states that a bagel is shaped like a zero for a reason. It has almost 500 calories with 8 grams of fat and 634 milligrams of sodium. The majority of the 500 calories come from refined carbohydrates with little redeeming nutrition to justify the price tag. A much better choice would be a low-calorie, multi-grain English muffin with two tablespoons of peanut butter for 300 calories. This is satisfying and nutritionally charged. Choose a breakfast that works for you and not against your healthy, light lifestyle. I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. back you're listening to girlfriend at radio and today it's just patty wyatt lisa jernigan is off traveling and we are chatting or i should say i am chatting with julie Lowe. she's the author of childproof parenting by faith not formula and julie you were just sharing about all the other wonderful kids that have come into your world and how you do family meetings 
just, you know, as you're sitting out on the patio chatting and it's not a dictatorship in your household, you actually, it's a partnership where everybody has a say. And do you ever have a situation where you're talking about, hey, this is a situation where we're going to have some other children in our home where your kids will say, I really don't want that right now? Yeah. Um, our kids have been remarkable, maybe because as well, they, they've lived it and come out of the system, but, um, they've certainly said things like, well, I'm not sure we want another teenager or I'm not sure I feel about this or sharing my room. Um, one of our kids for a period was saying, I think we have too many kids in our house. We shouldn't have any more. <laughs> and we, we took that, I mean, we took that seriously. So we don't, we don't brush it off. We, we talk through it with them. We listen to see where they have a valid point. Um, maybe where the Lord, you know, where they're struggling with things in their own world and how they're looking at it, we might push back and sharpen the way they're thinking. But, um, the kids we have are our priority. So we always care about how they're, they're engaging with our lifestyle and what choices we make. So they don't get final say, but we certainly tell them you, your voice is important to us. Mm-hmm. My kids have begged us to, to bring in other kids into the mm-hmm. household and, um, you know, I, I understand their, their love for wanting an, another child coming in. It, it's interesting because you know, my husband will say, that's just not right now. That's not the season that we're in, but you can get involved by like what you were doing. You know, you can go through and, and become a babysitter. You can get certified. Mm-hmm. You can go help, you know, another parent while, while they have the kids. What are, yeah. what are some things that you recommend for people who, um, even the kids, because I, I truly believe that there's not a certain age. Oh, well, when I get married and I do this, then I'm going to have foster kids. But yeah, you mm-hmm. can step in right now, no matter how old you are. What would be some yeah. of the tips and tricks that you can do to be involved? Yeah, you know, there are several things that come to mind. The first was, especially in our early years of marriage, we desperately could have used babysitters. And for people to babysit foster kids, they have to have their criminal and abuse clearances in, things like that. And so just having people that would have stepped forward and said, you know what, how about I, I'd be a babysitter once a month for you. And knowing that my husband and I could get out and have some time together and the kids were well cared for with people that met all the criteria, that, that would have been a huge blessing. And at times was people sometimes did do that. Um, getting, kids in and knowing that they often came with very little clothing or toys or resources. So just knowing that people who want to serve, especially at Christmas time or or, uh, special times of the year, those things are just a gift when uh, agencies have people um, offering presents and donating Christmas presents or sleeping bags or luggage for foster care kids. Uh, because it really adds up when, when a child comes into care and they have nothing and you don't, you don't know where to start and providing for them. There's all kinds of creative ways people can get involved no matter what age they're in. Well, that, that's a great tip on the, the luggage and sleeping bags. <laughs> that's really a yeah. great idea. You, yeah. you always, you know, you, you think of clothes and which is awesome as well, but, uh, sleeping bags, 
luggage. That's great. I'm, I'm actually typing that because that's a great tip. And yeah. tell us about parenting. Now, now you have actually both you and your husband are counselors. So who do you, you know, or is it usually for parents or are you usually counseling children? You know, it's, it's a mix and I am probably becoming more and more convinced as much as you work with kids or teens, you should be working with parents because mm -hmm. they're really their child's wise counselor. And my job is to work myself out of a job and to help <laughs> equip parents to know how to love their kids well. So the more I do it, the more I'm convinced I'm, I am becoming that I want parents as part of the process. Yeah. So what, what is some of your, your recipe for success? Well, I'm kind of anti-recipe, <laughs> so um, as my book suggests, uh, try not to think of formula, but really trying to wisely know people well. I think that's true in counseling and in relationships, and um, as I'm pointing out, and even our own families, that we really need to become experts at knowing our own marriages and our own families, and so from a counseling perspective, it really gives me joy when I can help parents know their kids really well and think creatively and thoughtfully about what it means to help them with any struggle they're going through, whether it's anxiety or depression or bullying, um, just really helping to equip parents to know when your child's struggling, here's, here's ways of understanding them and speaking into their world. Mm. You know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because, uh, I, I truly, it, it, we want to have a formula. We want you to, you know, when you take a driver's license test, it's like, okay, study this. And then you can go yeah. get your driver's license. It's like, yeah. okay, just study this book. And then I can go have a child and then study this book to go have a teenager. Mm -hmm. And my, my middle daughter, when she was in high school, she wrote this beautiful journal and in the first few pages, she, and she, she left it on my, my pillow in, in my bedroom. And the first two pages was just, I want to start this journal where we can talk to each other through writing because sometimes it's hard to say some of the things I want to tell you face to face. And it was just, it was beautiful. And I was able, she got married last year and I was able to read snippets of it as she went through high school and college. We kept this journal back and forth and it's sacred to me. I mean, it's just absolutely, I treasure it. And I have a younger daughter that's in high school. So I thought, oh, I'm going to keep this tradition up and give her a journal and start that. And she got to see and hear about it at, at the wedding shower and how much it, it meant to me, etc. And it lasted probably two days. <laughs> and she she's my writer. She writes poetry and she just is this beautiful, eloquent, you know, writer. And mm -hmm. so I thought, Oh, I'm going to just adore this book and treasure this book. But, um, instead when I opened it, opened it up, it was like, I don't want to do this. This is not for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I went days a little wounded, you know, going, wait, <laughs> why do you not want to do this? And just the different temperaments. And, yep. uh, if I had given that formula, well, I basically did when I was at the wedding shower, you know, cause I had people coming up to me going, I'm going to do that with my daughter and what a great idea. And it wasn't my idea. It was my daughter's idea. And 
often we have to do that, like you said, read them so well and wisely know them so well uh, because who knows what, what took place with those moms and their daughters as they left that shower and if that happened to them. What happened right. with my second daughter was like, I don't want this. So then you go, what am I doing wrong as a parent? I'm a horrible mom. My, my child doesn't even want to write a journal with me. Instead of they're going to show their, their love differently. They're going to communicate differently. And you have to figure it out. But often we throw our hands up and go, okay. And because we're hurt, we withdraw our love from them that this isn't the way that they're going to show me love. So therefore, whatever, you know, and you just kind of right. push them away because we're so human and so self-absorbed and narcissistic that it's easy to, to be the child rather than the parent. Right, right. And the temptations to, to push the responsibility on our children's lap to want to communicate with us or find a way to communicate where really it's our call and responsibility to pursue them and pursue them in ways that they feel loved and understood. Yes. And what would be a tip for that? How do we pursue them to truly let them know how loved they are? I, I think one of them is asking questions that goes back to just being quick to listen and slow to speak. And as parents, we all know how easy it is to go into lecture mode. And I try really hard just to ask good questions and let them talk and let them see I'm willing to listen to them, even if sometimes what they say is, is crazy stuff. Um, but in our home, we, we really try to foster conversation. And we can do that by games. We can do that. We have a table topics, uh, it's called on our, our um, dining room table. And anytime we're around a meal, our kids are teenagers and they still say, hey, can I pull a topic? And it's just a random topic that says something like, what was your favorite memory growing up? Or what was your favorite uh, food on holidays? And what it does is it encourages and facilitates conversations from the consequential to the inconsequential alike. It, it just says you are worth listening to. And when you do that, you get a feel for how your kids feel loved and what kind of things they like to talk about. And, you know, I have kids that are big talkers. They'll talk your ear off all night. And I have kids where I've got to intentionally pursue them and nurture conversation. And sometimes it feels like I'm dragging it out of them. Uh, but showing patience and love says what you have to say means something to me. I want to hear it. Mm. And, and like you said, one, that's just going to talk your ear off. And the other one, you really have to go after them. And I think yeah. that's so significant because you're always going to have that one. I, I say always, but it seems like it's pretty normal in a family to have one chatterbox. And somewhere mm -hmm. in there, there's one that will be a chatterbox if you find that, that right timing and the right space to have right. that conversation and to figure that out. I know for me, I, tra I travel often, and so on my timing is when I want to call them up mm -hmm. and I want to talk, but we're going to go into a commercial break, and just as, as we um, go into this commercial break, we're going to come back and talk about the right questions, asking the right questions. We'll be right back.
This is Girlfriend on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one of a kind ministry for planters wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Whether you call it love handles, muffin top, belly fat, or spare tire, all describe body fat around the midsection. When abdominal muscles are tight and defined, it looks great. But in most cases, excess fat seems to conjugate around your middle, and it's big and flabby. If you think that working out on abdominal machines, like the ones sold on TV or in the gym, will rid your body of love handles, think again. You cannot spot reduce. You can't do thousands of crunches and expect to get a flat, tight abdomen. Belly fat is exactly that, fat around your belly. And the way to lose fat is through aerobic exercise and a low-calorie, low-fat diet. You can drop those love handles by losing weight through cardio exercise and continue toning the abs through safe abdominal crunches. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, welcome back to Girlfriend It. This is Patty Wyatt, and I have been chatting with author and counselor Julie Lowell, who is just recently wrote the book Childproof, Parenting by Faith, Not Formula. And Julie, we went into the commercial break talking about there's really not this beautiful recipe, this formula as a parent, but truly digging in and wisely know people well, which I love how you um, stated that. And asking questions, getting to know them by um, taking the time to really talk with them, communicate with them. And I I wanted to, at some point, get into how you can turn a a conversation or especially a a time of conflict into pressing the pause and instead of turning it into a screaming match where you're really seeking to understand, where you're really asking them questions where they feel heard, they feel loved. But I also want to talk about some of the the brokenness that, that takes place. And not that having a foster child or um, adopting a child is any different than having a, a child by birth. There's brokenness in, in families all over and personality mm-hmm. clashes. And we, we just simply, you know, mess up and family is a mess. And I, I don't know any families that, that as a matter of fact, Sunday in church, the youth pastor, I, I work in the, 
in with the teens and the youth pastor said, how many of you, uh, you know, raise your hand if your family's a mess. And my daughter raised her hand and I was like, so offended. <laughs> like, Wait, what? <laughs> how, how your perspective of mess and a teenager's perspective of mess is just crazy. You know, I just, in yeah. and, and instant defense, I wanted to go over there and go, okay, will you explain this to me? Like what part of mess <laughs> are you seeing? <laughs> and, but you know, obviously we, we all have, have our messes. So can you share just some of the, the brokenness and the messiness of, of what you've had to deal with? And then we'll get into a little bit more of how do you unpack that and ask the right questions so you can communicate beyond that. Hmm. Yeah, there, I mean, starting as foster parents, we, we like to paint a wonderful picture, kind of a glorified picture of it, but there's certainly hardships. I mean, we've had kids leave our home that we thought were going to stay permanently, and that has come with a lot of heartache and tears. I, I can remember over and over again before knowing for sure that the adoptions were finalized of just praying and saying, Lord, please don't take our son away or please don't take our daughter away from us, knowing that, you know, the, the adoption could be contested, uh, somebody could step in and stop it, and that feeling utterly helpless uh, mm-hmm. to be able to do anything about it. And, and in a very, very meaningful way, the Lord reminding us, these are not your children. And I think no, no parent has to worry about their child being taken away from them. And when you love kids, they become your own. You, you want to protect them and hold on to them and keep them. And, and the Lord consistently reminding us, these are not your children. But the greater picture of that's true for all of us, that we are we're stewards of these people, but we don't have ownership of them. And just the, the heartbreak of watching kids leave and... Um, having uh, kind of dashed expectations of how their lives would turn out. I mean, recently one of uh, our teenagers, the one that we were, um, were legal guardians of, made the decision to leave our home and kind of go his own way, return to birth parents, made some really heart-wrenching, heartbreaking decisions. And us learning to navigate how – how do we confront him? How do we love him? When do we let him go? What's our responsibility in this? And and that goes to even uh, back to your question about conversation. When are we called to hold him accountable and confront? When are we called to step back and let the Lord do the work in his heart? Um, and you always feel like you're getting it wrong. I mean, one minute you're pushing too hard, and the next minute you're thinking you should have said something. And it, it's really helped us realize that the more we say, Lord, help us to know what's going on in this child's heart, and then give us the wisdom to know how to speak into it. What does this child need to hear? Because all of our kids are different. Um, one, one might need you to be kind of more structured and um, maybe military-like in your parenting because they just go off the rails so quickly. Another might have a really tender spirit and they need you to be gentle and slow to anger and more engaging with them. So you can see how when we rely on formulas to parent, you will end up hurting one of your kids, if not all of them, because they don't all fit into a cookie cutter approach. They, the scripture applies to every one of their lives, but 
Sometimes you're rebuking the hard-hearted. Sometimes you're encouraging the faint-hearted and the weak. Um, we're always loving them, but we're considering what ways do they need to be loved in the moment, which will always shape then the conversations I have with them and how I draw them out and helping them to understand their own hearts and their own behaviors. Mm-hmm. And so, so the ones that have left, because we, we all know someone who, as a parent that's dealing with that right now, that tough love, do I, mm-hmm. do I keep them in my house even though I don't care for their choices? Or like you said, uh, you know, you're always feeling like you're doing it wrong, but praying that you can really understand what's going on this child in this child's heart, but also not enabling them. Right. Where do you, um, you know, once again, you want a formula, you want somebody to say, you know, where, where's the cutoff there of, okay, that, that tough love, have you had to deal with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. When when we've had to draw a line and say, you know what, these are the rules of our home, and you might choose to walk out that door. Um, that's your choice. But if you're going to stay, here are the rules. And we say that not in a threatening, uh, a dictatorship kind of way. We say that, and we'll often say, we love you. We We want this to work out. We want you to want to stay. We're willing to forgive you. We're willing to work through the bad choices and the struggles. But this is our home, and, th- and this is how we're called to parent. Um, and those are hard things to do because you you are afraid of what's going to happen should they leave. You are afraid of how bad will the consequences or repercussions get. Um, and I think more and more what, what helps us get it right is when we're able to say, Lord, I, I am not called to... I force my children to act a certain way. I'm not called to change their behavior. I'm called to parent them based on what we see in their behavior. So if I take ownership as a parent or an adult speaking to child's life and say, help me just to do my job, then I have to entrust to God that they are moral responders. They're going to choose who they're going to serve. And I am not held accountable for that. I'm held accountable for how I choose to engage with them. So there's a bit of fear of letting go, and there's a bit of freedom in that because all I have to do is focus on me and how I'm going to engage and love them. Mm-hmm. Wow. To be, to be able to truly have that freedom because I, I do think as a parent, as much as we want to say, you know, just give it up to the Lord, give it to God, it's their journey, it it somehow manages to come back into the narrative in yeah. our head <laughs> to keep yeah. playing yeah. over and it over. Is. It's a, yeah, it's a daily battle. It's really us accepting that, Lord, if I believe you've made me steward to these children, then I can't control their behavior. I can only shepherd them and parent them to the best of my ability. Yeah, and and to be able to to truly look within and go, I... I have shepherd, I have done that to the best of my ability is where we beat ourselves up and we can do guilt really, really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's times I do fail. I, you know, I'm not always going to get it right. And I, the best things I can do for my kids when I fail is to go and be humble and say, I'm so sorry I failed you in this moment. Or I'm so sorry I was angry when I should have been patient with you. Um, and the Lord uses those moments uh, to repair relationships. 
So I, I can't believe that I have to be perfect um, in order to be absolved of any responsibility. I can only say, Lord, help me to, to be more Christ-like in my, my reaction. Mm-hmm. In your book, you talk about you, you were challenged to think outside of the box. And we just have a couple minutes before we go into the commercial break. What, what are some of your thoughts when you say you're just challenged to think outside of the box as a parent? Mm-hmm. Well, I think even early on being a single parent saying, well, what does it look like to what a role even getting married? My husband and I, we have strengths and weaknesses. So even in our marriage saying he's the cook of the family. I mean, the kids joke, you do not want me to be the cook. He will be the cook. Um, they like my baking. They don't like my cooking. I'm so thankful he's a good cook. I'm probably the organizer of the bills better. Like in every way we tend to think of roles having to be, we kind of fit outside that box. And then we did life differently. We got married later. We had two children before we got married. We got married. We threw in two more children. We, we did everything outside the box, but it was all godly, it was all above board, it was all moral, and we didn't seem to fit in any of the typical parenting formulas. Even the way we were allowed to discipline or not discipline our kids was in some ways outside of our control. And then always asking, well, am I being less than biblical because I can't do it a certain way or because we function better this way? And so it really sharpened us to think, well, what does Scripture have to say about these things? And what, what do you do with a, a widowed parent who's raising kids on their own? And what do you do with, um, with maybe a husband who's a stay-at-home dad and the wife goes to work? And how can we, how can we give each other freedom to say, you know what, families can operate in lots of different ways and still be very wise and biblical and godly in the way they live their life out. But I think we're so quick to create formulas and perceptions of what that ideal family looks like. And we're so quick to compare ourselves to other families that we think have it all together that we get sidetracked from just loving the family in front of us. Mm. And and your book um, on, on Child Proof, uh, we're going to go into a commercial break, but um, I, I hope those that are listening will run and go get this book because for not having a formula, you have a great formula. And we'll be right back after. This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. 
For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. The American Dental Association estimates that 50% of American adults have some form of periodontal disease. Tooth loss is not the only result. According to Harvard Medical School, gum disease increases the risk of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, chronic respiratory disease, pregnancy complications, and even dementia. Signs of periodontal disease range from gingivitis, which is mild redness and swelling of the gums, to advanced periodontitis, which is complete destruction of the tooth's bony structure. Inflammation caused by bacteria destroys tissue in the mouth and can cause a host of health problems. Preventing periodontal disease by brushing at least twice a day, flossing at night, not smoking, having a healthy diet, and getting regular dental checkups is the right plan of action. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, welcome back. This is Patty Wyatt with Girlfriend at Radio, and I am talking with Julie Lowe, counselor and author of Childproof Parenting by Faith, Not Formula. And, you know, Julie, I'm going to switch gears here. We were talking about um, the recipe to success, how there really isn't a formula. And on this next topic, as, as a parent, you really want a formula of figuring out what your child is doing and in everything that you're talking about here is relationship, 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 having that relationship, dialoguing, loving them, uh, asking those open-ended questions. And I, I've been out of town and I received an email from the principal of my daughter's high school that was so disturbing because it's saying we've had all kinds of injuries. They're running kids to the emergency room. There's been deaths over this vaping, um, it's also, uh, um, I want to say, a matchstick, and this just shows my ignorance on not understanding even the lingo of what's going on here. Occasionally, I'll hear my daughter saying, "Oh yeah, they were caught at school with jewels," and I'm, you know, I'm like, "Jewels, family jewels." Like, <laughs> what are we talking about here? And uh, you know, I I was at camp this year and they're bringing out these little squares saying, Hey, if you, if you have a kid that you see this and I'm going, I'm thinking in my mind, can we pass that around? I've never even seen this before. Like I would think it was a compact mirror. I I don't know. I, I just, and, and so we don't even know this is so foreign to so many parents. Um, and yet you think, at least I thought for a while there that this is, you know, steam. This is what people do when they're trying to quit smoking. They're vaping. And now to find out it's laced with all kinds of things that it's, it's literally changing the way the chemical in their brain and it's messing them up for life. So what, what can we know? Give us some information of what's going on here from your counseling, you know, expertise. Yeah, I think you are, are right. We we can be pretty naive, and I, I like to think none of my kids are into it either, but because I counsel, there is rarely a child, and I mean child even like 11, 12 years old, up 
teens, there's rarely one that's coming into my office that isn't saying they're vaping or they're juuling. Or part of the new concern is because they're about the size of a flash drive, uh, there's also things like marijuana being put into them. And so their drugs are being used uh, in these items that, that look like flash drives. And they're targeting. I mean, we've probably seen this on the news. I've seen it on 2020 or some of the news stations where they're talking about that these companies need to hold accountable because they're marketing kids. They're, they're having things taste like jewels, but uh, jeweling and vaping that is flavored like watermelon and bubble gum and things like that that you know is drawing in a younger population. Um, and again, kids can have these in their backpacks and a parent easily think it's a flash drive. And so it is rampant across the spectrum from public schools to Christian schools uh, to all over the place. And it is so hard to catch uh, your child doing that unless they get caught. Um, and so this goes back to just really troubling behavior that happens, whether it's in technology and cell phone use to vaping, that you need to be really good at knowing your own children and their behavior changes. There's no formula. They can't give you a formula to say how to know your child is vaping. So you'll read things like that. Uh, I give the example. One of my sons has this great caught look. It's like a deer in headlights. And ever since he was little, he had it. And it used to make me laugh because I thought, man, once he figures this out, I'm never going to be able to catch his lying. <laughs> um, but here he is, a teenager, and he still has it. And he's modified it. He's gotten a little better. But he still has this really funny look he gets across his face when I've caught him in something. And sometimes I haven't even caught him. I'm just asking him a question, and the guilty look comes. Um, and I love that because it, it tunes me into what's going on in his world. And nothing can make up for a parent's active involvement in their child's life. Um, even then, our kids, if they want to hide their, their struggles and hide their, their uh, sin from us, they can. But the more actively engaged we are with our kids, the more we really seek to be experts at knowing them, the more we're going to be in tune when their behavior seems off. And that's one of the ways I think we really counteract some of the stuff going on out there. We're actively pursuing, proactively engaged with our kids. Mm. Yeah, that cause it, it, you don't want to operate out of fear as a parent, for sure, because I think that's when we we make some silly judgment calls. Uh, but yeah. we definitely want to, um, you know, if if you have to go through their backpack, because because like you said, sometimes you know. They, they have a way of being able to, to talk you through something that you go, oh, okay. And we've all seen it over and over again where you might know what a child is doing and the parent is completely oblivious um, because we, we do want what's best for our kids. We want to believe the best in them. And they, they're, they're on their own journey, but to be able to have those conversations to, to help them along um, with that journey. If you, going back to asking the right questions, let's give you a scenario here. Your child comes home and you have been told that somebody has seen them vaping and they're hanging out with kids that are, that are doing this. And they come home and you ask them a question of, hey, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, what do you know about vaping? And they just said, oh, that that's just stupid. I would never do that. And they walk away. What would be 
some good conversations or some great questions to ask after that? Well, I guess it could go in lots of different directions. One, if I kind of play the devil's advocate with them, I might say, well, why wouldn't you? It's tempting for all your friends. What, what would make you not do it? Why, why would you be different than them? What would be wrong with it? So, again, I'm just drawing them out. I'm trying to get them to continue to converse with me and engage with me, but I'm hoping that it might crack the door open to a, a teachable moment or to a moment of honesty for me to even say, you know what, honey, if you were doing it, I would still love you. I'd be really concerned for you, but I'd listen, and I would, I'd help you walk through it. But it's always better to share that with us before you get caught. Um, so I'm kind of planting seeds in their heart and, uh, conversation that this topic's not off limits. I care about it. I know it's happening and I believe your friends are doing it or I know your friends are doing it. So maybe I get to a point of saying, you know what, honey, somebody told me they saw you doing it. And you paid this whole conversation before leading up to that moment where the hope would be they were humble and open and willing to talk about it. Um, I also find, too, with kids that they might not tell you what they're doing, but they'll usually tell you what all their peers are doing. So sometimes I'll just ask open-ended questions like, just tell me what kids in 10th grade are doing these days. Um, so tell me what the boys in your class are talking about when it comes to girls. So tell me, do any of your kids talk about sex and sexuality, or do any of your kids talk about vaping? And my kids will usually go to town telling me what all their peers are doing. And so I key into that because I can say, well, this is, this is the group they're surrounded by. How do I talk to my own kids now? How do I protect them? Now I know what kind of things are temptations for them or aren't temptations for them. So it's being wise and even asking them to tell about their own peer group and what kids their age are struggling with. And they'll, they usually talk fairly openly about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, I, I love that, Julie. Those are some great tips on especially what you were saying why wouldn't you do that? Like, what do you find is, is wrong about that? And, and, and I found too leading into some other stories, I heard so-and-so, you know, this and this happened and it, it destroyed their brain. You know, what are your thoughts on that? And, uh, giving those stories just in dialogue rather than, don't you understand this kills people and people are dying. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. You know, then they're looking at you going, Oh yeah. Okay. Everything's extreme. (laughs) And you know, and people get pregnant when they're sitting in the jacuzzi, you you know, they, they start discounting and discrediting what you, what you have to say. Well, we have uh, three more minutes before we're at the end of our show. And I just want to thank you, Julie, for being on today and for just being transparent, letting us know what's going on in your world and where can we get your book and find out a little bit more about you? Sure. So the book, uh, Child Proof Parenting by Faith Now Formula, was put out by New Growth Press. You can always uh, Google them and purchase there. I believe it's also on Amazon. Um, And I work at the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation, located right outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's a wonderful organization that has blogs and podcasts, and you'll see me doing some blogs and podcasts on there as well. Wonderful group of people at www.ccef.org. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. And, and with our, our last two minutes, 
If you were to really see um, a big mess up as a parent, what would you say? And I'm putting you on the spot right now uh, because you don't believe in formulas. <laughs> what, <laughs> what would you say that, yeah, I don't think that would be a good idea to do as a parent? Where do you see do, do you understand that question? Like, where do you see parenting where you go, ooh, that just makes you cringe? Oh, that's a great question because, again, that could go in so many different directions. But I, I think I cringe, actually, at the new wave of parenting hands-off where kids, we believe kids have their own privacy. And I mean that more when it comes to technology. We let kids kind of peers basically raising peers and parents stepping back and saying, well, they're 16 or, well, they're 18, so of course they don't want me around. Um, and I don't want to be a helicopter parent or all the other labels we have out there for parents, but I do think parents are backing away from their kids when they should be moving towards them and engaging them well in a relationship. So that would be my biggest concern. That's a great tip. Because you're right. I, I even have a tendency to do that. You know, mine's 17 now, and you're like, by the time they're 17, you know, if they haven't figured yeah. it out now, if, if I haven't. But yet, they're still under your roof. They still have to abide by your rules. And, uh, you know, you're still paying for their cell phone. <laughs> so. yeah. Right, and you love them. I mean, that's really, at the end of the day, it's, you know, rules without relationship equal rebellion, that I really want a meaningful relationship with my kids, not, not to control their behavior, but to love them well. I love that. And with that, we are going to end our show. Go out there. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show.